0: Welcome to the EMS On Air podcast. The mission of this podcast is to keep healthcare providers safe, informed, and prepared. Today is February 15, 2021. This episode was recorded February 12. I'm Jeff Lassers and I'll be your host. This episode is a stripped down, no BS update of the recent changes made to the Oakland County Medical Control Authority emergency EMS protocols. The OCMCA is one of 59 medical control authorities, or MCAs, that are unique to the state of Michigan. Here in Michigan, an MCA is a quasi governmental body that maintains EMS standards, regulations, and protocols within a defined geographic area. In a bit of an oversimplification, an MCA's job is to coordinate the EMS system and establish written care protocols for its EMS agencies, as well as ensure that physicians, hospital staff, and providers are educated on the protocols. The Oakland County Medical Control Authority, or OCMCA, represents all of Oakland County, Michigan, and includes 50 life support agencies, or LSAs, and 15 hospitals. The primary function of the OCMCA is to coordinate the EMS system and establish written protocols for its EMS agencies and hospitals and make sure everyone is on the same page. This includes providing the necessary education and resources to facilitate protocol implementation and compliance. The intent of this episode is to do just that and provide a clean, clear, and concise overview of the recent changes made to two OCMCA emergency EMS protocols. As of January 28, 2021, emergency protocols 11-1 and eleven two have been modified. Please review these protocols to assure you understand the intent, purpose, and process of each. You can access the protocols via the OCMCA EMS Protocols app which is free and available for all Apple iOS and Android devices. Or you can visit ocmca.org protocols. Contact your EMS coordinator or the OCMCA if you have any questions about the changes to these protocols. In a moment, you'll hear from Bonnie Kincaid, the OCMCA Executive Director, as well as Steve McGraw, the EMS Medical Director, and they'll provide details related to what changes were made and why they were made. But before we begin, we wanted to make sure everyone has a clear understanding of the intent and use of these protocols. Here's the down and dirty. First, use Protocol eleven one personal protection during treatment of patients during COVID-19 pandemic and decontamination of equipment after use. To screen patients for COVID-19 in order to determine appropriate treatment and decontamination for that specific EMS run. To support this intent, a clear list of signs and symptoms has been added to the beginning of the protocol. Patients who screen positive for any of the listed complaints will be treated as a possible COVID-19 patient. Patients who screen negative shall be treated according to the appropriate EMS protocols. Second, Protocol 11-2, Treatment of Cardiac Arrest Patients Screened Positive for COVID-19 has been simplified to support patients and EMS providers. This protocol applies to patients suffering from cardiac or respiratory arrest, and it's so brief that I can cover the whole thing during this intro. First, screen the patient for COVID 19 using the criteria found in Protocol 11 1. If the cardiac or respiratory arrest patient screens negative for COVID, treat them according to the Cardiac Arrest Protocol 5 1. If the patient screens positive for COVID, follow the cardiac arrest general protocol 5-1 with the following modifications. First, consider a nasal cannula or non-rebreather for passive oxygenation. If you use a nasal cannula, place a surgical mask over the patient's nose, mouth, and nasal cannula. Second, Avoid performing mouth-to-mask ventilations and do not attempt ET intubation unless absolutely necessary. Finally, if the airway must be secured, use a supraglottic airway device such as a King airway or an i-gel and refer to emergency airway protocol 79 for more details. That's it. Straightforward clear and simple. Again, contact your agency's EMS coordinator or the OCMCA with any questions about our emergency protocols and their updates. Thank you for listening to the EMS On Air podcast. Enjoy the episode. Good morning, everybody. How are we today?
1: Wonderful, Jeff.
0: Good morning, Jeff. Good good morning. It's always good to have Bonnie Kincaid back on the EMS On Air podcast. So today's show, as we said in the introduction, is going to be an overview of modifications made to our emergency protocols recently in Oakland County, Michigan. Bonnie, can you give us an overview as to why these were made?
1: Absolutely and good morning everybody. It is such a pleasure to have worked with a lot of people and a lot of questions on these protocols to make them as streamlined and easy to implement as possible. 11.01 used to be a state protocol. We made it an Oakland County protocol and added the applicable patients that you're going to be looking at and considering if they are potential risk for COVID-19. Other than that, the personal protection, all the different sections of that protocol remain the same. We really like the guidance for respiratory protection on page two. It goes into during treatment, what you should do, patient compartment, and then patient transfer, and finally cleaning of the vehicle. So all of that stayed the same. We just added in the applicable patients that you would uh, consider going through this protocol on. And then we cleaned up the cardiac arrest protocol to one paragraph. And this is what you will do when you have a patient that's screened positive for COVID-19 and is in cardiac arrest. So it's basic treatment of what you should or shouldn't do. And I think, Dr. McGraw, you could probably speak better to why we changed it to this.
2: Well, thank you, Bonnie. Our fundamental concern is obviously to provide the best resuscitation we can to a patient in cardiac arrest, but at the same time, balancing that. By ensuring the best possible safety outcome for our providers in the pre hospital world. The only way to try to do that with patients that screen positive is to again minimize things in their airways getting into your airways. So before we get into some of the nuts and bolts of the actual resuscitative requirements, I think it's important to remember that we're assuming that when one of our providers is encountering a patient, that they're fully protected. They're wearing their PPE. They've done everything they can to minimize their time, duration, exposure, and the number of personnel in close proximity to the patient. Certainly as many as necessary, but no more than is necessary um, to handle the patient up close and personal. They're wearing gloves. And when they're done interacting with that patient, they'll take their gloves off and wash their hands. I think that goes without saying, but I just don't want people to forget the little things because as we look at this, sometimes it's the little things that make the biggest difference too. In terms of patients receiving ventilations and oxygenation, there's a large body of peer-reviewed science that really supports passive oxygenation during CPR. If you guys have any doubt of that, just think back to what the American Heart said about what we call hands-only CPR in sort of the civilian world, meaning not worrying about patients getting mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, but simply performing closed-chest CPR and activating the 911 system, doing the type of rapid, deep compressions that we know are effective. Because what's happening, even without somebody ventilating the patient, performing mouth-to-mouth or any positive pressure ventilations, we know that the compression and recoil of the thorax does cause passively air to be exchanged across the airway and into the lungs and across the alveola. Just the very fact of doing CPR does that but that's not enough for us. In the EMS world, of course, we're going to provide passive oxygenation. And really the safest way to do it is with a high flow nasal cannula underneath a mask that you apply to the patient's face. Or if you have a non-rebreather mask and you prefer that, a tight, a fitting non-rebreather mask as you contain at high flow, then performing closed chest CPR provides really enough resuscitative ventilation and oxygenation that your additional ACLS and chest compression efforts are likely to be just as effective as if you had provided bag valve mask ventilations or initial advanced airway management. I think it's also careful to point out that if you do use a non-rebreather oxygen mask, it's perfectly acceptable to place an oral airway provided the patient's unconscious, which they would obviously be. And if you have nasal oxygen underneath a mask, they could also place a nasal airway. Neither of those are of great risk to be placed and they could also help to provide additional passive oxygenation as well. We certainly want to avoid any mouth-to-mask ventilations or mouth-to-mouth ventilations. And we don't want to attempt oral intubation unless such a maneuver is absolutely necessary. And no other maneuver you're performing is able to provide ventilation and oxygenation to the patient. And in the pre-hospital world, I find that especially important because with rare exceptions, we don't have the ability to do indirect laryngoscopy, meaning where you could use, like we do in the emergency department, a glidoscope, supplying me with additional protection the, the patient's airway is an arm's length away from my face. Of course, I'm wearing my respirator, but on top of that in the hospital, the patient's airway is down you know, just above my waist while I'm looking to my right or left at a small video screen for video laryngoscopy or, or the brand-name kaleidoscope. Since we don't afford our pre-hospital providers with that in very many instances, the best thing to do is to avoid really almost every case Direct laryngoscopy where the medic would be looking right down the blade of the, the laryngoscope and if, identifying the larynx and the vocal cords. That is nothing but a, a recipe to have a large dose of viral particles travel from that patient's trachea up into your face. So obviously we avoid that and passive oxygenation does provide for that. There's quite a bit of peer reviewed literature that support it. And if you get a return of circulation, I think we can all agree that even if it's brief, Good resuscitative efforts, not requiring advanced airways, can subsequently be enhanced if you so decide with a supraglottic airway once resuscitation has responded with a return of circulation. And it might be minimal return of circulation. Maybe you get some sort of an organized rhythm, and then you notice the end tidal CO2 is rising because the person is perfusing their tissues. Anything that would indicate that in the best possible way, minimizing exposures to others, Placing a supraglottic airway would be, a, I think, a reasonable thing on route to the hospital. What I would not support, however, is routinely placing a supraglottic airway, and certainly not an endotracheal, direct laryngoscopy airway, in someone without any semblance of return of circulation. Again, there's just too much risk without any documented upside to the provider and to the patient. I hope that's kind of a stratification of how I look at the risks and
0: benefits. Yes, sir. I think you did that. Bonnie, you got something?
1: No, I just think that was pretty clear. And I just want everybody else to know that we took everything else out of that treatment protocol that used to be there all the times. And if they arrest in route, what to do? It's just basic back to your general cardiac arrest protocol and transportation protocol with just those few lines to make sure you consider if you have somebody screen positive for COVID. I think that's perfect, Bonnie.
0: Thank you for listening. Thank you to Bonnie and Dr. McGraw for your time today. We appreciate it very much, and we hope that these protocols are clear to every provider listening. Please contact your agency's EMS coordinator or the OCMCA with any questions about our emergency EMS protocols. Thank you for listening to the EMS On Air podcast. Stay safe and have a great day.